Is your business stuck? Tired of leaving money on the table? Are you ready to take it to the next level? Join us as we dive deep into the small business secrets successful entrepreneurs are implementing to see massive results. This is the Business Growth Hacks Podcast, presented by Beefy Marketing. Here's your host, Andrew Brockenbush. What is up, Johnny Boy? What is going on there, Andrew? How's it going, man? Oh, I'm great. Dude, this is our first ever episode in this new podcast studio. In the new studio. Hey, will you give me a little bit more of my ears? The intro came in hot, and that was real hot. Now I'm good. Now I'm good. A little tech behind the scenes there. We are rocking and rolling in our brand new podcast studio. What do you think, John? I love it in here. More room for activities. It's kind of sad you're so far away from me, but... It's also kind of nice you're so far away from me. So most of our listeners, obviously Apple Podcasts and all that fun stuff, Spotify, they don't get to see, you know, if you're watching on YouTube, you even then you probably don't know. I forget. Yeah, podcasting. I should probably describe what we're doing. Yeah, we have to talk about what we're doing. So we've moved over about 40 feet. That's right. From our old podcast studio. And that room was great. Oh, yeah. But it was tight. It was for doing what we're doing in here. I mean, there was no moving around between your producer desk and our producer or our podcast host table. Our desks were kind of touching. Yeah, basically so. And now there's actually room for activities. We could put a bunk bed in here. Absolutely. All about the bunks. But, you know, I also like that we can get more people in here and do larger videos. Yeah, man, I am so excited. We got some new gear. We painted the room. Lots of cool toys. You can see some of the lights behind me. So for those of you guys watching on YouTube, the set looks a little different. The TV's much bigger. Not much, but uh, it's it's different. There's no backdrop, technically. I mean, there's a backdrop. It's just not paper. I just noticed something I forgot to do on the TV. Let's go full screen that. There we go. <laughs> there we go, YouTube. I couldn't tell on your frame anyway. <laughs> if they're listening only, they have no idea what we're talking about. John, let's kick this thing off with a little bit of an icebreaker. All right, let's do it. It's a little personal. Okay. If you could make one change in your life, no matter how impossible it seems, what would that change be? Oh, man. You know, part of me wants to go philosophical, but I think I'm going to keep it light because I think I would just change that I would be a rock star, just completely famous, but do the exact same things I do now just with paparazzi following me around. Yeah, that'd be fun. So you'd be a celebrity. Yeah, I'd just come in here to work, but they'd be hanging out outside out there. You know. So what's a day in the life of John as a rock star? You know, I probably wouldn't start it at 5 a.m. like I do now. I would pay somebody to start my day at 5 a.m. To do that yeah. part. <laughs> yeah. i wake up a little bit later. And then... Uh, so, would someone cook for you? Would you have a chef? I didn't even think about that. You know what I would have? I had this at a hotel one time, and I felt like just the most fancy person ever. I would have a personal omelet chef. Because I had one at a hotel once, and I felt like the most rich person in the world. Because, yeah, I think we worked a show and we're at that hotel a couple of days, probably three or four days in a row. And I remember that guy. Every day I'd come meet him up. And, hey, man, you can make me an omelet? You can get that at Golden Corral. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can go to a restaurant, <laughs> but yeah. it's not like walking out of in the same room, in the same building that you slept in. You know, yeah, that makes it different. The convenience thing there. Yeah. Totally different. The convenience factor. Yeah. I, on TikTok, I come across these people whose job is to be a personal chef on yachts. 
I'm like, that's pretty freaking cool. Uh, actually, it's a lot harder than you would think because spoilage and, you know, just keeping fresh food and planning because you have to plan out every section of your meals. Oh, yeah. And planning for mistakes. You know, if you're at home and you mess up a meal, you can go to the store real quick and grab another ingredient. Oh, yeah. But when you're out in the middle of the ocean. You can't be like, knock on your neighbor's door and say, can I borrow some sugar? Like, yeah. I mean, unless you're fishing and then. Fishing for sugar. Man, I think, so I'm going to go a little darker or heavier in my response to this icebreaker, philosophical. I am not the most organized person at all. Oh, man, I'd change that about myself too. You and I were roommates a long time ago. And let me ask you so that you can tell the people, what was the worst thing about living with me? It was that the dishes never got done. <laughs> never got done. Nah, that's not fair to say not most, once. Most, most times they were not done. And that has not changed about me in all of the last decade. And I, I was sitting in my closet this morning and I started this project maybe a month ago where I was like, I'm going to get rid of clothes I don't need and I'm going to make everything neat. And I walked in there this morning and it was like, you know, a bag of donation clothes stacked up and three boxes that <laughs> my failed attempt at a project. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, this is bad. So like I should organize this. Yeah. I think that. If I could just have my shit together a little more, it would make a world of difference in my life across multiple facets of my life. I'd probably be a little bit healthier. I'd probably have less paper stacked on my desk. You definitely have less paper on your desk. Oh my gosh, man. Well, today we're talking about something that's near and dear to our hearts here at Beefy, at Business Growth Hacks, which is, it's basically this methodology of sales or marketing called the inbound methodology. And really how I'm going to talk about it is much simpler than that, which is sales has changed. It is not what it used to be. I mean, it depends on what you're selling now yeah. versus oh, how yeah. you look at it and go after it. So we're going to start with a statistic because that's what we always do. Always. But this is a pretty good one. You found this one and it is gold. It says 14.6 is the close rate for search engines. While traditional marketing has a close rate of 1.7%. So what does that mean? Let's break it down. Yeah. So, I mean, the number 1%, right? Like that should be 1.7. It seems like a small number, right? Yeah. And 15%, 14.6, that's obviously not a huge number either. But when you think about them, 15 times more people will close from a search that they did on Google or whatever search engine. Then your old school cold call. That's right. Then a billboard, then a cold call. I can say, you know, when we first saw that stat, I told you, I don't know if that's correct, but just based on a, how many people I hang up on for spam phone calls, I would say it is. I'd say it's higher, realistically. Honestly, it's probably more like 0.5% for me personally. So today we're going to talk about and focus on how the modern buyer has changed how the sales process has changed, and how it's being redefined, all right? Because it's completely different. So let's kick this thing off by stating the obvious. Before the internet, you know, uh, buyers were relatively uninformed, right? Back in the day, even when we were kids, and we're, we're younger, right? We're millennials in the sense of when we were born and whatnot. And so we had a lot more technology than the people that came, you know, our parents and, you know. I mean, I watched it go from newspaper to... Facebook feed. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for real, like MySpace was our first taste at 
this is coming. This is coming, right? And even then, it was still really weird and new. And I remember it. You didn't feel like you were really talking to someone at first. Whereas now, I have full-on business conversations in a social media app. And I'm like, this is kind of odd to me. This should be an email, right? I guess it doesn't matter where. Yeah. So, the buyer's journey then was pretty straightforward, right? They had a need and a salesperson was able to step in and help solve for that. Well, they had a need and no knowledge. So the teacher was the salesman. That's right. And they had to, I think I brought this up on another podcast episode, but you know, it's what I do. Probably. We're going to tell that story again. I'm going to tell that story for the 50th time. Yeah. Old man Brockenbush. <laughs> old man Andrew. <laughs> old man Brockenbush. So I think I told you about that client who, when I had my first ever meeting with them, and I asked them how they were presenting their marketing materials or their sales materials. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And he opened that huge book. It's like pages and pages of all the things that they did. And I was like, y'all don't use that, do you? And he was like, yeah, every sales meeting. Yeah, this is how we sell it. He's like, I'm going to make that digital and change your world one. <laughs> yeah, like we're about, to, we're about to change your life. Mainly because like they were still in that traditional mindset, right? That they had to do that. And we've talked about this with marketing before and other things, you know, the fundamentals in any area that are there were laid there for a reason. And, you know, so we're not negating any of those old tactics or things that work. We're just saying the way that it looks here has changed. Yeah. I mean, the trigger now for a buyer having a need can be way more random, right? Like you might not know, like it might not be inherently, you know, clear that they are looking for a salesperson. Right. It might be that they downloaded an ebook off your website or read a blog post or commented on one of your social posts. Because they're contacting you doesn't mean they're ready to buy. That's right. There are a lot of people who are in the discovery phase. Yeah. Used to, if you were getting a phone call or on the phone with a salesman of some kind, there was a sale about to happen. But now the first initial contact may not be for that sale. It's to find out more info or to find a discount. Exactly. Yeah. You're just looking for the best deal. I mean, car shopping is the perfect example of that, right? Like back in the day, you'd go into a dealership and say, well, tell me about this engine and tell me about the features and benefits of this car versus that car. Now, when you go into a dealership, when you go into a dealership now, you know exactly what you want to look at. You know the mileage before you ever step in the door. And what does the catalog look like now? It's a picture of a guy that you want to be driving that car. And that's pretty much it other than just the title of what it is. I mean, the internet really transformed the way buyers were able to be informed about a decision, right? They are way more prepped. People are going to hate me for saying this, but most of the time people don't need a salesperson to make a decision. I find that I sometimes get annoyed with the salesperson. If I know, especially music gear, podcast gear, stuff like that, I know exactly what I want. I just don't want to pay full price, most likely. Like, give me some kind of deal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so you might be saying, well, why should we even have salespeople anymore? We're going to get to that because salespeople, I still think it's still important. They're still relevant. We're not saying don't get rid of your sales team, fire everybody right now. Okay. But when the modern buyer has a need for a product or a service, they've gotten all their answers online already right? They're going to Google it. Right. They're going to go Google it. They're going to go YouTube it. They're going to look at your competitors. They're going to see the reviews about your business. Yeah. You're right about the competitors because I am probably the worst on that. I will go look at everybody. Why are you the best? That's right. And it's funny too, because I hear traditionalist business owners say things like, 
well, my competitors are going to find out about that or my competitors are going to hear this. And it's like the clarity that you need to have as a business owner is that they already know. Your competition already knows and everyone already knows about your competition. Well, how secret are trade secrets in the trade circles? I mean, I just think that nowadays the customer is way smarter than you think, right? Like for me to talk to you and you think that I didn't already find out who your competitor is and what's good and bad about them. It kind of assumes a lot about your customer that you probably shouldn't. That's right. Yeah. And honestly, for me, it's a huge turnoff as a potential customer when you talk to me in a way that makes me think, especially when you kind of try to start to do that. Well, I'm better in this way and I'm better in that way. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't need to tell me that. I've already made that decision on my own. Like I called you for a reason. I looked at quality of product most That's likely. That's right. Yeah. I've already looked at your competition likely. I've already looked at the reviews. I know if you make the top of the line or the bottom of the line. That's right. So there's no reason for you to get into that. Don't do that. Focus in on me and what my needs are. And if you do that, you don't need to tell me anything about your competitor. I don't care about them. I already saw them and I called you versus them. Well, it's like those political ads where they just run about the opponent instead of anything that they've done. It's like, okay, cool. You can talk crap, but what have you done? Yeah, exactly. Where's the substance? Where's the beef? Where's the beef? Where's the beef? We were able to do it. We recorded that earlier. (laughs) You know, I think that most people, most buyers can reach a decision stage in their, you know, kind of in the customer journey, all without ever contacting or speaking to a salesperson. And a well-designed website should get them there. Which means the salesperson's job now has to change. It has to evolve. Right. So it's not educating anymore. But what is it? I think it's getting into the why, what they need. I think it's being more prescriptive versus, what's the best way to say that? Okay, I think I see where you're going, but yeah. It's more personalized, right? Okay, I think that the modern buyer is used to personalization. A hundred percent, because we can customize any and everything. I mean, we just went to that conference where you can customize literally, what do you want? We can make it for you, yeah. I mean, it's no longer the approach where I have to bring that book in and say, Hey, John, we sell websites, we sell social media, we sell SEO, we sell blogs, we sell podcasts, and you're just going, bro, I don't need any of that. So it's my job as a salesperson to say, hey, John, I noticed that you've spent a lot of time on our website looking at our blogging service. Let's talk a little bit about your needs. Yeah. So what do you need? Yeah. That's right. Because you already know what you need. Yeah. And honestly, for us, that approach is more natural too for the sense that we're trying to figure out what it is you want to even do and if we can even help you do that. That's right. I think that so many times we're jumping for the opportunity that we forget to say, is this a good fit? Right. Just because it's something doesn't mean it is the thing. That's right. Not every customer is the best customer and not every company is the best company. You know, yeah, just not everybody was made to work together. And I think going back to, you know, personalization, customers are really, really used to this by now. You think about Netflix and Amazon and you can tier your packages on different services, you know, you can... They know about you. And think about it this way. Almost every subscription service that's out there right now has a free, a middle, and a premium. And I think that tells us a lot about the current consumer. And just about the methodology in general, which is the idea of attracting, converting, and nurturing and promoting, right? And if you have those three tiers of free, mid-grade, and premium... It does that naturally because you get them interested with the free, 
oh, well, I'm going to upgrade to have this feature. Oh, man, I need a premium feature to do that. And Yeah, and I think a lot of times people, when I start talking about companies like Netflix and Amazon and personalization, it's overwhelming. So they're like, well, that's great for big, giant companies like them, but we can't do that. I don't have that kind of tech or money. But I don't got that kind of tech budget. Or even think that they can do it at all because they think, well, I don't have some website that automatically makes product recommendations. You don't have to. That's your salesperson's job. Your salesperson's job is to provide personalized recommendations, right? Not just here's the 50 things we offer, but here's what I think would be good for you based on the things that you've said or done on our existing website. So what's interesting here, I keep finding this trend over and over again. Technology has taken the place of people as far as completing tasks, but now people need to step back in to add the personalized touch so people feel like people are talking to them again. You still have to have the personalization, right? And that still requires a person, personalization, person. Person is in the word personalization. That's a good one. Put that on a shirt. One size does not fit all for the modern buyer. Oh, no. They expect you to know who they are and provide value for yeah, for their journey. That's right. I mean, marketing obviously has accounted for the change in the modern buyer and it's updated its efforts accordingly, right? So it means what we're doing as marketing people and salespeople again, has to evolve, right? Well, yeah, you think about it. The first person that ever did marketing and coined that as a term, they were paving the way. And everybody after that has taken what they've done. And it, yes, it has evolved. So, okay, we're talking about all this. And it's like, well, what do we do? What do we do as businesses, right? 2006 is kind of really when the inception of the inbound marketing methodology kind of took root. And that really helped marketers create and deliver content that really appealed precisely to the right people, kind of in the right places at the right time. So you think about like retargeting ads. That's a great example of inbound marketology at work, right? Or methodology at work. You go to a website, you read something about something, and the next thing you know, you're being followed around with ads that recommend similar needs. That was personalized marketing based on something you were searching. That makes sense too, because things people search for are probably the things that they want to buy. That's right. And it makes marketing more relevant. The difference between me going down the highway and seeing a billboard and me being served up an ad that is based on something I've done, another behavior of mine is personalization. Only one of probably a hundred people that drive past that billboard, it's going to apply to. You know, I go down Highway 6 here in Texas, which goes between, you know, Houston College Station, right from 290 all the way down to Alvin. And whenever I'm on that road, there's six or seven billboards for Rolexes. Okay. Would I like to have a Rolex at some point? Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. I don't care that much, but it's cool. But I looked up the price of a starting level Rolex and it is out of the budget for me at the starting price of twelve to $20,000, right? So for some Aggieland you know, drivers, that probably is very applicable. But to me, it's not, right? Let's say that I'm doing some you know, watch research online, best watch that's waterproof, best watch that looks budget, you know, budget friendly, best watch that is good with a suit. And somebody like Fossil starts serving up ads to me that is a personalized experience because they offer a product that's within my budget. That has the look that you're looking for, that has some sophistication to it. Yeah. I can't afford a Rolex. You know, it goes back to that statistic we started with. That search turned into a better conversion value than that traditional media because it's not personalized. You can also get more information from a search. Way more. You know, you start to think about the fact that it's kind of creepy, but with cache and pixels and all these things that live on the back end of a website, there is a profile of you and your behavior online. 
I think there's a website. I can't remember it. If we can find it, we'll throw it in the uh, the show notes. But there's a website that you can actually go to that shows you every single thing that Facebook knows about you based on things that you've done online. And it's the profile in which that advertisers use to be able to advertise different recommendations and products to you. You can turn that off, obviously. <laughs> yeah, every time you uh, download an app on your phone, it asks you if you were agreeing to those things. Yeah. So it's pretty wild just how much personalization plays into the modern sales journey. And again, I, I know we're talking about it a lot of it digitally, but it applies to your in-house sales reps, your external sales reps. When they go out and talk to someone, they should better off be knowing what that person needs and how to personalize that experience, right? And a lot of times that starts with a discovery call, a discovery meeting. How can we get to know what you need? How can we get to know who you are and what you're looking for and what your pain points and challenges are? I mean, there's a huge fundamental shift from those outbound marketing efforts. But obviously, it's proven to be an extremely effective way to turn strangers into customers and promoters. And at the end of the day, it's 100% catered to the modern buyer. So I think we should talk about current sales team's efforts for a second, right? Because if they're still cold calling and leaving cold voicemails, I'm not saying it doesn't work. That's right. Prospecting has changed, right? Think about it. Fewer people have landline phones at their desks, right? It's not as relevant as your mobile phone. Every phone now has a caller ID. What do you think that means? Well, and you think about that too. When they were cold calling starting back in the 50s and all that, they were calling someone who was sitting stationary, had their full undivided attention, and didn't have massive amounts of media all around them. Today, a sales call, you may be calling someone who's standing in a shopping mall. You're not going to be able to compete with that because they can walk into the store right there, most likely, and buy the same thing. At that point, too, there wasn't even a lot of caller IDs yet. So I didn't know to hang up. <laughs> you know? Exactly. So you didn't know. But think about it now. Your phone will literally say, my cell phone will say, spam. And what do I do? I reject it. I don't even answer it. That doesn't mean people won't slip through the cracks. But the system's getting smarter and smarter. And it's like, if you want to have effective closes, then you've got to make a transition. You've got to evolve into what sales. You've got to get to where people are. Yeah, if you're still relying on mass emails, it is the, always the funniest thing to people to me when people come to me and say, we've got this list of 50,000 emails and we plan on just blasting them. And it's like, that's dumb. Yeah, it's probably not going to work unless there are 50,000 people that are extremely interested in what you do. That's right. Because you are shooting in the dark. I mean, you were completely shooting in the dark. Because, yeah, how did you get those emails? Is it from some kind of sign up somewhere? Like, Yeah. If you think about it too, like I can speak to me personally, but I know that my inbox is filled with tons of that kind of email content and I delete it without ever opening it. I have a smart folder that just auto puts it in that, right? I have a trashed can email address that literally I don't check it. There's not even a box. It's trash. I'd say sales, like this is a big, bold statement, but I think sales teams can't afford to not adopt the inbound methodology because if you continue to do that, it might be working still now. And it may still work, but I think you're spending way more time than you should be. And probably money. Trying to generate leads when targeted leads would be just more efficient and cost effective. Yeah. I mean, for example, podcasting. One of the podcasts we do here is the Beef Podcast, where we bring in small business owners to tell their stories. And a byproduct of that podcast is that business owners are coming in and telling us their stories. And what does that mean? We make relationships with business owners who are telling us their challenges, 
their struggles, which sometimes leads to opportunities where we can serve them in a way that goes beyond our free resource, which is our podcast. And so the idea is that is a personalized approach. Not only did we provide value-added content by helping them promote their business and be on our platform, but we also got to know them and build rapport. I was going to say, that's what I think was so cool. And even on the episode that we did this morning, it was like, I would have had no idea what that company did, honestly. I'd seen it a bunch of times. I probably could have guessed, but never really knew. So it was kind of cool to have the guy come in and talk about it. Like, oh, that's the thing down the road. And we're learning all these cool stories about our area. And that's like, that's the coolest part. And then secondary to that, which is kind of, I guess, first place to that, is that we're getting to work for those people too, you know? Yeah. So I think that that is a good pivot point to the fact that, you know, the question I ask earlier, like, why do we even need salespeople? If they can buy on your site, see your pricing, see your competitors. Yeah. We just fire the wholesale staff and save money today, right? Yeah. I don't think that's the answer. I disagree too. The goal of the inbound sales methodology is for the salespeople to become the buyer's Yoda, right? Okay. The salesperson has to position themselves as a trusted advisor. Okay. What does that look like? John is our sales rep, not you, John, our other John, John, the marketer. He's our sales rep. And when he brings people on to the podcast to share their stories, not only is he building rapport and creating a relationship with that person, but he's also positioning himself as a trusted advisor, right? Because now he's like, hey, yeah, look, yeah, this is stuff we do. And yeah, check it out. This is a cool podcast studio, right? And that then sparks questions. People say, well, what all do you guys do? And he doesn't say, here's the hundred things we do. He says, oh, here's a couple of the things we do. You know, if there's ever anything I can do to support you, let me know. And so in that... He didn't spill the beans and say all the things we do. He tries to personalize it, right? Well, here's what he didn't have to tell them everything that we're going to do because they're going to go research us anyway. You just need to tell them where to go look. Exactly. That's exactly right. And that's, again, another benefit of having a website that is designed for the modern sales buyer's journey. Not only should you be adding a value as a trusted advisor, as a salesperson, but your website needs to be supporting those efforts. We've said it before. But your website is like a 24-7 sales rep online. Sales rep, sales floor. When your sales team is sleeping, your website should still be selling. It's a full-on demo. It can do everything. And especially now with all the other tech that you have, like live chat and you know, even the, the what are they called, bots, like the chat bots. Uh-huh, you have the chat bots. And the other thing you can do is you can schedule an appointment almost anywhere from their website. Mm-hmm. The salesperson, if they're a trusted advisor... I think it goes back to the fact that people buy from people and not businesses. A hundred percent. And so when they're doing that, when they become a leader in their space, when they anticipate the buyer's next move, when the buyer starts to trust that person, just like Luke trusted Yoda, right? All of a sudden, when you start to follow that methodology, you're going to become a sales, you know, maven. Is that the word? Maven? Maverick? Maven? Maverick? Maverick? I don't know. Let's call it a sales Yoda. In no time. You're going to become someone that people are going to say, you need to go talk to John because John is a great resource as it pertains to growing your small business. He will not try to sell you anything. Well, and you know, when you think about an expert, I know some experts, they don't always try to sell me anything. In fact, most of the experts I talk to are like, you can't afford me, which is funny and fine. But I find it interesting that that's kind of how it works. Like the expert is someone that They know so much, they're not afraid to give anything away. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that to adapt this methodology, you have to start to understand why it's so important 
to understand and anticipate the buyer's needs, right? Because again, they've done so much research at this point, right? It's your job now as a sales rep or salesperson to start to really dig into who they are. Right. You kind of need to know who you're selling to more than anything. That's right. And that goes back to like this fundamental of branding as a whole, right? Like who's your demographic? Who's your customer persona? I've told people before, they're like, I want my website to look like X, Y, and Z. I'm like, okay, cool. Who are you appealing to? And they'll tell me. And I'm like, cool. I'm like, let's pull up all the websites that you think that they shop at. And I do. And I think we've talked about this before, but when they start to look at the commonalities between the websites that their customer would shop at, they go, oh, I'm designing something that this person is not familiar with. They would not be attracted to. And that's a major issue. Yeah. I'm thinking, I can't think of the name of the software. I probably shouldn't say it anyway because I didn't end up using it. But (laughs) I remember a software that was really cool, but I never really got fully into it because one, I didn't know where to buy it. And yeah, that was a problem because yeah, I had like some kind of free trial license. And two, it just didn't work that great and other things came out with really good apps really good logos that i liked how they looked on my phone and i bypassed probably great software for something that looked more trendy that's right that's just so interesting to me yeah it blows my mind that i've done that myself and i do this you know yeah so you have to dig into who they are what blogs they're reading what websites do they go to what social groups are they a part of what you know memberships what social media content are they posting well, because that also gives you more data of the cross-platform, the who you can partner with. That's right. And where you should spend and invest your time and money. We've talked about this with social media before on some of our social episodes, but... It applies to marketing too. Everywhere, right? Because it's like, if you're spending all of your time on TikTok, but the majority of your audience is corporate, you know, Fortune 500s that are spending their time on LinkedIn, there's an issue. You're not going to see the close rates or the conversion rates that you want. Right. And that's where we've talked about before. Either you're going after new audience in that platform or you're trying to do something even harder and that is convert your old audience to move to a platform with you. And you're going to have to have powerful content to do that. That's right. Really powerful. So I think once you start to know the things like where your people spend their time and what they talk about and they communicate and you really get to understand them then there's that personalization component, right? Now, when you reach out to them, you can do it in a way that feels personal. Hey, John, I see that you uh, are a huge fan of golf. I actually have a membership at the such and such club. Would you like to meet up and you know go hit some balls? All of a sudden, I've given you an opportunity to go play at a club that maybe you've never played at, or maybe you don't mind going again for free, but it gave us an opportunity to connect on a common interest. And then we can evolve that into a business relationship, right? Same thing with our podcast. That's the thing we do at Beefy. Like Beefy's personalization thing is come tell your story. Come just tell us about yourself, you know? And some of those people will become customers and some will not. And that's okay. And that's fine. Some of them will walk away here with some great ideas that we gave them. And that's fine and great too. At the end of the day, as a salesperson, the goal is to build trust and authority. You want people to trust you as an advisor. That's, I'd say, you know, props to the team at Beefy. That's the thing we've done really well in this new office and, you know, frankly, in this community that we've kind of, I guess, decided to start in, in Tomball. Where we've made roots, yeah. Is that we've made sure that everything we've done has been resource first. Absolutely. And the value in that is the majority of the business that we've seen come has been from from that alone. People saying, you need to go talk to John the marketer. You need to go talk to Andrew. You need to go see John, you know, in the podcast studio because they're going to give you tips regardless if you spend a dime with them, right? 
And that's something that I feel like a lot of sales teams and, you know, executives are afraid to do. A hundred percent. I kind of hit on that earlier. Like being an expert's not afraid to give away because they got more knowledge. Yeah. It goes back to the Ritz Carlton thing I shared about in one of our other episodes. Go listen to one of the other episodes. It's there somewhere. I'm not going to do an old man story, but you know, so many brands are afraid to give all the answers away because of their fear is that their people are going to go do it themselves. Some will and some won't. The people that will do it themselves were not the right customer in the first place. They weren't going to be your customers anyway. Yeah. The people that say, thanks for that information, that's going to help me, right? It's just like the guy who printed every single beefy blog post and used it as a resource until he could afford to hire us, right? You have to be consistent in those efforts. The sales process is no longer about interrupting, pitching and closing and hoping that something's going to stick, right? You have really got to, at this point, leverage the methodology to listen, to diagnose, to prescribe the right solutions for this person's needs. I got you. Because, yeah, if they don't feel like you're listening to them, they're going to feel like you're just trying to push sales on them. And that part is the worst. When I, it is the worst. I can tell when I have no need for this product or service, but this guy seems to just trying to sell me on it. And the two top industries, in my opinion, that still do this terribly is the automotive industry and the cell phone industry. It doesn't matter, especially if you're old or you don't know anything about technology. If you go into a phone store, you can almost count on being sold something you don't need. And that bothers me so much because if there was some more honesty there, like that was one thing I feel like, yes, we had sales goals at Apple and yes, they wanted to to sell certain initiatives like, you know, Apple care and um, back in the day, there was this thing called one-to-one, which is like a training that they sold, right? But at the end of the day, the methodology at Apple was always still sell the thing that the person needs. I think I brought this up before, but we used to say, you know, when somebody would try to come in and buy the top-loaded MacBook Pro, you'd say, you know, you wouldn't get a Lamborghini in the woodlands. And for the listeners that are not here in Texas, the woodlands, like every single, like there's like one main road, it's called Woodlands Parkway. And seriously, like every half city block, you've got a stop sign or a red light, Right. And so the idea is, if you have a Lamborghini, you're never going to get that thing at top speed, right? And so it was the same thing with a Mac. I used to tell people, yeah, you could. And I saw it. There's a great YouTube video of a race. I was going to say, you're never going to do it safely. (laughs) Illegally, yeah. True that. But that's the kind of experience that I was able to have at Apple whenever I was working there was when someone come in and say, I want the top of the line MacBook Pro. And I would say, cool, why don't you tell me a little bit about what you're going to be using it for? You know, I'm going to check my email. I'm going to write Word documents. Cool. You need way less RAM. (laughs) Happy to sell this computer to you. If no matter what I say, you're going to buy this regardless, then let's not waste any time. Let me get you ready. We're going to get you checked out. But if you really know, really want to know what you really need and what's going to be fully capable for what you are, this computer right here. And you know what was so special about that? Yes, there was the people that went ahead and bought the most expensive one. But thanks for telling me everything. But I built a lot of trust with them regardless of the decision they made. And that benefited me tenfold. They would tell people to come see me. That guy, you can go see Andrew because he's no pressure. He's going to sell you what you need and nothing more, nothing less, right? And that resulted in me being a high performance sales rep because I personalized my approach. Just because I could sell everything doesn't mean I did or had to, right? We tell that, I mean, you hear us talk about it all the time at, at Beefy. It's like people come in and say, well, I think I need social and SEO and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, I don't want to sell you something that's not going to deliver an ROI. I want to sell you things that 
are going to make you happy. I want you to see your money at work. Yeah. That's right. Because once I do that, you're going to send me three more customers and those three more customers are way more valuable than the extra two or $300 I could have gotten out of you. Right? It's not worth it. Because the two to $300 I would have gotten out of you would have resulted in no ROI. You talked before about the formula for how much each customer should cost you to sign. And yeah, like if you're running in that, you've got a solid number that I can discount this up to this much and be fine. And you have to think too that, you know, there's a statistic that John the marketer shares that I've heard a lot is it costs more to acquire a new customer than it does to keep an existing customer. And with that at mind, it's important, just as important as it is to getting new customers, it's important to protect your existing customers. And the best way to do that, again, goes back to trust. And I think the commonality in the fact that the sales has changed and the inbound marketing methodology is building trust as brands and only prescribing solutions that make sense for that specific person's needs. Yes. It's not a, here's everything we do and why anymore. I mean, I like to take like Raisin Cane's, for example. It's delicious, and there's one thing on their menu. Yep, those beautiful tenders. This podcast is not sponsored by. It is not, but it could be. I need a stack of Cane's lunch. I don't even care if y'all sponsor the podcast. Just sponsor a lunch. (laughs) That'd be cool. Appreciate it. Oh, my gosh. So the, the fun thing about this topic is that we could spend hours on it because we've just scratched the surface of the idea that I want to plant in your head, which is sales has changed. Yeah. Sales, and it's probably going to change again. And it's going to continue. And it is, right? It's constantly evolving. This content right now that we're talking about is out of date in a year from now because it's just evolving so rapidly. The methodology is changing. The way we have to go about things change. But at the end of the day, I think what stays true is, is the ability to personalize recommendations based on someone's needs. And so I think that you have to, first of all, just own that. You know, especially for established companies out there who are saying, man, our sales are just not where they want to be and we're, we don't know why. And our salespeople are spending way too much time on, you know, uh, initiatives that just don't seem to be generating results. You've got to understand that things have changed. Once you're willing to say, okay, I understand. Then we could dive into a whole nother episode about what do we do next? I'm sure we will. Episodes, right? Or webinar. Who knows? Yeah. Which, yeah, right. A webinar. So I think that we could definitely dive into that more, but I think... Top level, just quickly talking about that. A part of that is making sure that your website is set up to start that whole process. If they can go out there and find everything out about your competitor, they better be able to find out everything about you. If they can go see all your competitors' reviews, you better have good star reviews on your on your Google My Business page because they're looking. And at the end of the day, when it's you and your enemy, <laughs> you and your biggest competitor, and they've got more reviews and they've got more resources and the price settings on the website, they're going to go with them purely because the customer, that example, feels informed. So many people are like, I don't want to put my pricing on my website because my competitor is going to know. Again, they already know. Don't think that they don't. Okay, they do. Second of all, I'm going to go with the guy that I can see his pricing because when I see no pricing, you know what I think? Oh, they must be so expensive that they're not willing to put their price on their website. But and yeah, I don't know if that's related to musician catalogs, but call for sale price always meant more than ten grand. Yeah. That's right. But call for pricing is more expensive. That's right. So it's I think that that bothers me. I want to know because most importantly, because it helps me self-qualify as a customer. If your product's ten thousand and theirs is five, your product might be the best thing. It could be the a superior product. But if I can't afford it... I'll say, if their budget's only five, you're not getting them. You know? And yes, there's exceptions, financing and blah, blah, blah. 
I respect that, right? But again, you've got to let the customer make that decision for themselves. Yeah, you do. I never like it, especially when they try to push financing on me. It's like, nah, don't make that decision for me. You don't know my money. I do. Well, let me make that decision. Like you can do it because we can we can just finance it. It's like, oh, great. Another $500 a month bill. Awesome. You've really helped me out. No, you've just hurt my cash flow even more than it already was. Yeah, maybe more than it was. Yeah. So again, I think that that's a good starting place. Make sure your website is optimized and designed to have resources to, if you're comfortable putting pricing out there, to have pricing, to show reviews, to show case studies, customer, like you said, demos. I think demos is the best because people seeing it in action is it speaks for itself. And there's an important part of why video is so important for your business, which that's a whole other podcast episode. But you know that's why video and social content is important because again, it's showing who you are, what you offer, which is just helping build a case for you. It's helping the customer make their decision that they should go with you. And it also really helps you as a salesperson because when that person finally goes to reach out and they call you, you have all of that historical data of how they've interacted with you. Exactly. And I don't know how many times I've heard, well, I go with this rep instead of this company because this guy likes to play golf and go to this place that I like to go to. This is my people because people buy from people. So business growth hack, two pieces of software I want you guys to know about. HubSpot, which is kind of the gold standard of the inbound marketing world. Everyone has heard of HubSpot. Say, yeah, they are inbound marketing, right? They are the inbound marketing company. And then another tool, which is a little more affordable, and I think it's great for small businesses, and it's a huge favorite of ours here at Beefy, is ActiveCampaign. Both of these tools do a lot of great stuff. There's built-in CRMs for managing your sales pipeline. There's email marketing. There's marketing automation. And most importantly, both of these tools have a little tracking pixel that you can put on the back of your website. And they start to show you the activity and behavior of your users on your website. And that data gets richer once someone opts in to your newsletter. So what do I mean by that? Let's say that you have a great ebook on your website or a great case study on your website about what it is that you offer. They download it. They give you their name, their email address. Now, because they're actually enrolled into our system, I can actually look at all the historical behavior of a website visitor, which back in the day would be like somebody walking into the store and no one getting to talk to them or knowing who they were. All of a sudden... I know exactly who they are, but not only do I know that, I know what they've done on my website. So I can actually set up automations that say, hey, when John visits my pricing page twice, I should call John because John might be interested in buying. He's interested in buying. Or John spent five hours or he's visited this 10 pages on this blog. What does that mean? That's a pain point for him, right? And so what happens is I now have the ability to make personalized recommendations based on his behavior. Well, and it's relational because it's, hey, I've seen that, or I've seen that you've been looking at this blog post on, you know, let's just say knowing your numbers or something like that. It's like, could I offer this product to help you with some issues in that area? Or are you having these sort of issues? For example, one of the email templates that we use to send personalized email recommendations, it says something along the lines of, typically, when someone reads this kind of content, they're struggling with X, Y, and Z. Is that something that you guys are struggling with? If so, I'd love to hop on a five-minute call and just see if there's some resources I could point your way. What does that sound like versus let me sell to you? It sounds like, oh, wow, this guy's really willing to help me out. Again, I've got to be willing knowing that, yeah, maybe the sales cycle is a little longer than historically it's been, but at least it's personalized and I've built that trust and authority. 
Well, we've talked about the one and done sales strategy is over. And what we're talking about here is relational sales, relational marketing. That's going to build relationships that last lifetimes. And you know you've seen that because they have Nike shoes for little kids. So the answer here is not the answer. I think the point here, sales has changed, so you better do something about it. John, see you later, man. See you later, man. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Growth Hacks podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you never miss an episode. To get more marketing tips and tricks, follow Beefy Marketing on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Beefy Marketing. And to take your business to the next level, check out our website at www.beefymarketing.com.